Well, welcome to week five of Summer at Lex City. And during this summer series, we've been studying the parables of Jesus. I was thinking this last week, if Forrest Gump would be writing a parable, he would probably start every parable this way, right? My mama always told me life was like you got it, a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. That certainly has been profound and true in 2020. So let me ask you this. If 2020 was a box of chocolates, which chocolate would it be? Let me put here on the screen, Russell Stove's Variety Chocolate Pack. Which chocolate is your least favorite? Which one represents 2020 as we've been heading this far? I want to give you a moment, look it over, share with those around you. This is the chocolate that I would leave for my kids or give to my roommate. Have you figured it out yet? For me, it's pretty easy. It's the milk chocolate toffee that I would do without. It's flat, it's tasteless. Anybody choose that one with me? The one I would love would be a combination of this. I love white chocolate and I love strawberry cream. Are there any white chocolate strawberry cream people with me today? This is it, the box of chocolates. 2020 certainly would be that way. Now Jesus started his parables not like Forrest Gump, life was like. He started this, the kingdom of heaven is like. And every week we've seen as Jesus is teaching to the crowds, he's teaching them new truth, new way to think about the kingdom of heaven, new way to, th to think about what it means to be a follower uh, of Jesus. And he tells all of these things in the form of a story or a parable. And so let's continue this today on our series. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 25. If you've got your phones or devices, fire them up. Go to lexcity.info again, all the information things that are happening in our church. Sermon notes are all right there at lexcity.info. So as you're turning, let me again just give you a little cultural context for what's going to be happening in our parable today. We're going to be talking about a wedding. And the wedding had three basic elements during ancient days. Now there would be some nuances depending on what village or what region that you lived in, but really three main ingredients always seemed to be there. The first one was this, that it was an arranged marriage that the parents would choose the bride or the groom for their child. I can already see some of you parents beginning to think, I kind of like this. I think we need to go back to the arranged marriage kind of day. I'm not sure I like little Billy that she's dating or whatever it would be. If you're single or if you're a young person, you're like saying you are, there is no way we're ever going back to that. Can you imagine who your parents would have chosen for you uh, to be your spouse? Many of your husbands are like me. I'm pretty confident I would not have been the choice of Tammy's parents, but this was the context, arranged marriage. The second element that's kind of unique is, is this. After the arrangement of the marriage, the bride would be at her home. The groom would come and claim his bride. So he would walk to her home and claim her. And this is what we call the betrothal period. You might be familiar with that through the Christmas story, the story of Mary and Joseph. Now, during this betrothal period, the bride and groom would not live together. They would not consummate their marriage, but it was a legal binding agreement. In fact, it was so legally binding that if the man died during the betrothal period, the woman was actually considered a widow. Then the third element, and this is really where our parable takes place today, would be this. On the time of the wedding, the groom would go to the bride's home he would get his bride, and then the bride and the bridal party would then return to the groom's home for the remainder of the ceremony. And this was a festive event back in those days. This kind of processional usually took place in the cool of the evening, sometimes even at night. 
And so one of the distinctions of the bridal party would be this, that you would carry a torch or you would carry a lamp on the way to the groom's home. Can you begin to picture what this is? Now, some of you are picturing Frankenstein and torches up to the castle. This is a little bit more romantic, a little bit more festive. They're heading through the city together, celebrating as they go. You get the picture. That's Matthew chapter 25, so let's jump in today. Verse 1 says this, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now, notice this as we start the, the, the parable. Notice this, that all 10 bridesmaids, they appear to be identical, right? They all had lamps. They all look the same on the outside. But we're going to see today that outward appearance can be deceptive. It, it can be deceptive not only to other people, but the danger is it can be deceptive even to ourselves. Because the parable is now going to make a big distinction between believers and make-believers. And let's see the difference. Verse 2. He says, five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. Now listen again, as we start this story, right? All of them had lamps, all of them had some oil, but only a few had enough oil to make the full trip. And a lamp, right, without oil is meaningless. It serves no real purpose. It's really the difference between religion and a relationship, or religion in the absence of Jesus in it serves no real purpose. You can come to church, even today, you, you can watch online every single week, you can sing all the songs, you can even raise your hands, you can carry your Bible around or have your Bible app be on the very first page of your phone and do all of those things, but listen, if the oil, if the light is not in you, it's empty. An empty religion and no religion are exactly the same thing. They lack the light that is within. So what made the five bridesmaids wise? We're going to see this. What distinction was is that they were possessors of the lamp and not simply professors of his existence. Now don't miss this. Here's a big thought that we'll see throughout this parable. There is a difference between possessing and professing. And we'll see over and over, the challenge is these look very similar on the outside, but what's happening internally is dramatically different. The question for you today, am I possessing or am I simply professing? And we will look a little bit closer as that as we go. In this parable, what we're going to see, what makes the difficulty, what brings the tension into the story is the delay of the groom to pick up his bride but we're also going to see what gives evidence of their faith, their wisdom, is their ability to endure, to persevere, to be patient, to be courageous during this delay. You see, it's easy to have faith when everything is going great. But when things go difficult, when there are struggles, when there are pandemics, when there is no light at the end of the tunnel, when normalcy will return, it's in these moments, right, that we have evidence, that it gives evidence of the validity of our faith. Wheat and shaft, they, they appear the same until you beat them out on the threshing floor, and then you see it's dramatically different. The same is true with our faith. Adversity, struggle, the challenges of these days are revealing what is truly within us. So we have 10 bridesmaids, right? Five of them possessed enough oil, and five of them only were professors that they had it. Verse 5. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they fell asleep. 
Again, it's interesting in this parable, this issue of the delay, the amount of time it took is brought up again. At the start, everybody was excited. Everybody was enthusiastic. Everybody was looking forward to the groom coming. But over a period of time, this enthusiasm and even the commitment begin to wane. (laughs) Oh, if only the Bible were relevant for today. Friends, I share that because I get a chance every week to talk to pastors literally all around the country. And one of the things that we're seeing this is what started with some enthusiasm and commitment even in the body of Christ is beginning to wane. We're finding more and more folks that are are not connecting regularly with their local church that are even walking away from their faith. Now, I know today I'm preaching literally to the choir because you're watching, you're engaging here online, but I just wanna encourage you, listen, that for me, my pastoral heart breaks for the fact that those that are walking away from their faith and may never return to it. For some, this pandemic has been an excuse, right, to to take a step back, to maybe disconnect on a little bit more regular basis. We've lost the accountability of serving together every week and the idea of keeping others' needs above our own in front of us, that idea wanes a little bit when we're just confined into the solitude of our home and our own isolation. I've even heard some say, listen, this is the first time in my life I've been able to not go to church and it be okay, and so I'm just taking a break. Oh, we'll be back. (laughs) Here's the problem is when we get into these routines, it creates habits, and when we create habits, we create lifestyles, and lifestyles create legacies as we go. And I just want to encourage you, thank you for being so consistent and watching and staying connected. To my online family today, can I just not only thank you, but I want to remind you, boy, to, to treat this time as sacred. This is just not another hour of binge watching that you do throughout the week. The Bible says this, it's a special time when two or more are gathered in my name, I am in your midst. I wanna encourage you that it's a sacred time as we continue just weekly to commit, to connect together. When you commit to support the ministries and the things that God is doing here and around the world, what it gives evidence of the depth of your faith and the amount of oil in your lamp. So he says, don't become drowsy and fall asleep in the delay until the things return. Because in a moment, a moment when you least expect it, listen, the trumpet will sound, the shout will rise you from the sleep. What it says in verse six, he says, at midnight, they were roused by the shout. Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. And all of the bridesmaids got up. They prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because your lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourself. Now, wait a minute. That that doesn't seem fair. That doesn't feel fair. Shouldn't the five who had the oil, shouldn't they be obligated to share it with the unwise maidservants that were there? But remember again, in the context of this parable, it's not a parable teaching us about ethics. It's a parable is teaching us about the importance of preparedness. Now, ethics fall within here. But the bridesmaids who are wise make this important distinction. They point out, listen, that if we share this oil to what feels fair, then none of us will actually have enough oil to make it all the way to the groom's home. So the wise says, I hear, I understand, but I'm going to tell you where you can go to be prepared. Go to the shop, buy some oil, get prepared like you should have been long before waiting for this moment. You see, personal responsibility and personal accountability are foundational 
to a faith in Jesus Christ. Only you can choose to be saved. Only you can determine the level of your personal in integrity. Our faith is not gonna be graded on a curve and it's not gonna be a comparison game. Each one of us will individually stand before God and be accountable for our lives, for our faith, for the condition of the oil in the lamp that we have. That's why, again, it's so important. Listen, your faith has to be your own faith, right? This can't be your mama's faith or your grandma's faith or your husband's faith or your wife's faith or even your church's faith. This faith has to be yours. You're accountable. Now, the foolish five, like I like to call them, made this thing. They made a mistake that we all can relate to, and it's this mistake that says this. The mistake was they said, well, listen, I, I've got time to get things taken care of, right? I'll, I'll worry about that tomorrow. Faith is important, but now we would never say this out loud, but I want to sow my wild oats, right? I want to do some living. I want to do some partying. I want to do some things that, and then I'll get around to having my faith. A few years go on and it's like, well, once I get married, then, then faith will become important to me. Certainly, it, it, when we have children, I, I want my kids to grow up in a home of faith, so then, then faith is gonna become, I've got time to do that then, or hey, before I die, I'll have those moments just before I take my last breath, then, then I'll make faith an important part of my, my life. I've got time, this was the lie they bought into, right? I've got time to take care of the oil in my lamp. But look what verse 10 says, and this is so powerful, and this is the key to our parable. He says this, but while they were gone to buy oil, had time, the bridegroom came. See this, this promise that he came. They thought they had time, but listen, we believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And what do I mean by this idea of the imminent return of Christ? The word imminent simply means this. It means likely to happen at any moment, that it's impending. We believe that the return of Jesus is likely to happen at any moment. It's impending that's there. In other words, now don't miss this, there are no unfulfilled prophecies that need to happen before Jesus can return. Jesus said it, it could be at any moment imminent. Listen to what he says to his disciples in the, in the book of Luke. Chapter 12, he says this, Be dressed for service. Keep your lamps burning as though you are waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in in a moment that he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, he himself will seat them, put on an apron and serve them as they sit and eat. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn, but whenever he comes, he will reward the servants who are ready. Verse 39, understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would not permit his house to be broken into. And in verse 40, here's the key. Look at this. You also must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. This is the warning. This is the challenge. When we are least expected, this means he could come on a Tuesday when you're sitting in the middle of a Zoom call. He could come on a Thursday when you're in the middle of the night, when you're sleeping, if you live on this side of the hemisphere. Or every preacher hopes that Jesus will return right in the middle of his...
imminent return of the Lord. Listen, friends, if this had been the moment, are you ready? Are you prepared? Do you know Jesus or simply do you know about Jesus? Is there oil in your lamp or is it running low? Verse 10 continues with the warning. It says, but while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went with him to the marriage feast. Then here's the key. The door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. There will come a moment, there will come a time when the opportunity for salvation is over. When the door is closed and the door is locked. So are you ready? Do you know Jesus? Do you know without a shadow of a doubt where you will spend eternity when you take your last breath? If you don't, I wanna share with you how the Bible says that you could know for sure. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Why? So that you may know that you have eternal life. I write these things that you might have the confidence, that you might have the assurance on that moment when the groom returns for his bride that you have eternal life. What do I do in order to know that for sure? The Bible says that you must believe. What must I do in order to be saved? I must believe. I must believe that Jesus is who he says that he was and that he did the things that he said he would do. I must believe the fact and acknowledge the fact that I'm a sinner and believe that Jesus loved me enough that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. I I must believe and trust in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead to show that he not only had power over sin, but he had power over death itself. And the beauty of this is that you can experience even today, even in this moment, the promise and the assurance that you will be saved. And so before I go any further today, even in this teaching, I want to take opportunity to allow you to respond to that truth. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you don't know without a shadow of a doubt where you'll spend eternity, then can I encourage you in these moments to make that right with God. Wherever you're watching today, let me just invite you to join me in this simple prayer. You can use these words or you can use your own words. It's the attitude of your heart, but Just pray with me this morning, if that's you, or this afternoon, or this evening, whenever you're watching, say this to the Lord. Lord, please forgive me for my sins and take control of my life. Jesus, today I'm placing my trust and my faith in you alone for the forgiveness of my sins and for that free gift of eternal life. Jesus, thank you for saving me. Amen. You know, today, if you prayed that prayer, we're so excited for you. No greater decision could you make in your your life than to do that, to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you did pray that today, we'd love to celebrate with you. I'd love to be able to send you some material to help you grow and take the next steps in your faith. And so just below, you'll see a little link that's entitled, I Pray. Just click that, and we'd love to connect with you on that. It's a powerful truth. And what a joy it is and what assurance it is to know for sure where I will spend eternity. 
Well, Jesus continues to, to teach, and now he turns the parable back to those that have a relationship with him, those that are possessors, and not simply professors of, of religion, but who possess Jesus within their life. And here's the application we're going to see in verse 13. He says, to you, you too, here's the key, must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my t- return. So here's the application of the parable. He says this, you, you've got to keep watch. Now, when he says keep watch, this isn't, this isn't passive stargazing, you know, where we all just go to the hill, light a fire, hold hands, sing a little kumbaya. Oh, whenever Jesus comes, we're going to hang out here. No, no. It's a different meaning of the watch. This idea of watch is like a watchman who stands in the wall, a watchman who's in the tower. He's, he's alert. He stays active. He stays on mission. That's the kind of active watching he says. So if that's the application, let me today just give you two, I think, one. Let me give you this one application for us corporately as a family and then one for us individually. As the family of God, as the bride of Christ, when the Lord returns, I don't know about you, I want him to find us united. I want him to find us loving one another, loving our community. I want, us, I want him to find us on mission and on purpose. Now listen, COVID-19 has challenged that at times. It's challenged even this issue of unity. As a church family, we're not immune to the tensions that we're facing in our world, and we're not immune to the tensions that we face even amongst the family. I mean, without an exaggeration, I get together probably every week on phone calls or lunches to talk to people who have differing opinions about how we should be handling this pandemic. And I, as you can imagine, these opinions are as diverse as our political views and other views. Some feel we're doing too much. Some think we're not doing nearly uh, enough. <laughs> At our board meeting this last week, somebody asked, how are you doing, Pastor? And I said, well, I said, I kind of feel like I'm trying to be Switzerland, stay neutral, and I'm failing miserably uh, so many times in this. And the struggle has been this. And there are such opposing and differing views on this topic and how we should handle it. To be honest, social media hasn't helped here. It simply exacerbates the distinctions and the differences and the opinions we have. Isolation hasn't helped. In the absence of relationship, right, in time together, there are these gaps. And if we're not careful, by default, we're going to fill these gaps with suspicion, with mistrust. We're going to assume the worst of each other during these times. I just want to say to you, church, listen, as Lex City, listen, we're better than that. We're, we're better than that. We, we've got a mission. We have an eternal calling that is far greater than COVID-19. It's greater than mask and no mask. And in all of these things, can I remind you what we feel today, the junk we're dealing with. Listen, friends, this is temporary. There is an eternal groom who is coming for his bride. And so listen, during these days more than any other, it is so important that we are united around this glorious calling. Look what Ephesians chapter 4 says, and I love this. It says, Paul's saying, Therefore... I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. And here's what it says to us and how you and I should interact and treat each other as the family. Verse two, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, 
Here's the deal. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. During this time of all times, folks, we talk so much about the church being the church outside of these four walls, but can I just say to you, we need the church to be the church even in the context of these four walls. This is the time. Let us stay united. Let us assume the best of one another. During these times, you've got to actively figure out how do I fight isolation? How do I fight these moments when I feel relationally or emotionally distant from some person? How do I shorten those gaps a little bit better? How do I keep on mission to do what God has called us to do? Listen, last week, we had five people who made professions of faith for the very first time. Just a few moments ago, some placed their faith in Jesus for the very first time. And when we get through this, and we will get through this, this is temporary, it won't be forever, but in that moment, let us make sure that this is the loving grace-filled, unified place that people can come back to and experience the love of Jesus in a new and a fresh way. Corporately, we each play a role in that. We each have accountability to help that process. That's my challenge for us as a church family. For us as, as individuals, here's just the big question that Jesus teaches in the parable. Are you ready for the return of the Lord? Is your lamp full? Are you eagerly awaiting the return of the groom? If you knew Jesus was going to return in 2021, because I don't think anything good's going to happen in 2020. So if he returns in 2021, what would you do differently in your life? Amidst all the struggle, listen, COVID-19 has given us a unique opportunity to hit reset in some areas of our life. For this moment in history, the, the wheel of the rat race has been derailed and all of a sudden things aren't just assumed as they always would be. And so here's the question, what opportunity do you need to take during this season to put more oil back in your lamp? During this time, where do you need to make adjustments that you want to continue on long past this pandemic into the future of your life? The Lord says the key for us as individuals, right? Be prepared, be patient, and be purposeful. I love what James chapter 5, verse 8, and it gives us our challenge for the moment. It says, you too, here's the key, must be patient because the delay, this is going to be longer than we think. I need you to be patient. But in that, take courage. Here's the key, for the coming of the Lord is near. Friends, the coming of the Lord won't be as soon as you want it to be but it'll be sooner than you think. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray together. Father, today we thank you for the truth. We thank you for the humbling reminder that the groom will return for his bride at a moment we least expect it. And the condition of our hearts, the oil and the lamp is the parameter of, of our faith. And so God, help us to live as men and women who are alert who are on mission, who are ready and anxiously anticipating and waiting. God, we thank you today for those that have made professions of faith and said, I was a professor, but I wasn't a possessor of this thing called Jesus. And God, today we celebrate with those who have made that decision. But God, the warning today is for some of us who may on the outside look like everything is great. 
I'm dressed for the wedding. I've got a, I've got a lamp in my hand. I'm ready to go, but we're missing the thing that makes it so powerful, and that's the light that comes within it. And so, Lord, today, some that are maybe wandering in their faith, God, maybe for some that just aren't interested at this moment, may your spirit just tug at their hearts and remind them that the day of salvation is today. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you for this beautiful thing called the church, your bride. And, God, we ask in the weeks and the days and the months to come that each one of us will do our part to be ready for the moment when the groom returns. In your name.